the whole reason I started doing this was not to do something crazy. It was because I've watched hundreds of dogs with lymphoma die being treated with our standard therapies, which is a chop chemotherapy. And it just became so frustrating to watch this happen over and over and over and over again, no matter what. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend, and welcome to Dog Cancer Answers. On this show, we talk about all sorts of ways of treating dogs with cancer, from chemotherapy to radiation to Chinese medicine to nutraceuticals. Today, we are talking about a type of radiation that is full body radiation. It is used to treat certain types of lymphoma, and um, it's an aggressive type of treatment that is not right for everyone. One of the effects of the full body radiation is that it kills off all the dog's bone marrow. But what's cool about this is they have figured out a way around that. And that is why this procedure is called bone marrow transplant. There are only a couple facilities in the United States or in the world that do it, both here in the United States. And we are speaking today with the world's leading expert on this. His name is Dr. Steven Suter. He joins us from North Carolina State University. Dr. Suter, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So you do something awfully interesting and something that a number of listeners to this podcast have looked at and had a lot of questions about which is this bone marrow transplant. Can you you know, provide us with an overview and then let's get deeper into some of what it is and how it's used? Sure, um, bone marrow transplant is used to treat animals with uh, what are called hematologic malignancies. And so things like lymphoma and leukemia are the really big indications for it. This uh, treatment has been used to treat people with lymphoma and leukemia for many, many years. In fact, dogs were the model to develop the vast majority of the protocols that I use and that are used in people out at the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. So it's really me taking a wealth of data concerning dog transplants that's actually been in the human literature in a research setting and moving it over into the clinical setting where we treat clino dogs instead of research dogs. Okay. So before it was being used in humans, it was tested on dogs. And now it's going back and, and effectively you're using it on the primary animal that it was developed with. That's right. That's a wonderful opportunity to give back to dogs the uh, sacrifices that may, they made during all the research trials that are still ongoing. So let's do an overview of what is involved in the process. Sure. So the process is the use of stem cells, which are from the bone marrow, to repopulate the bone marrow after it's been killed, for lack of a better word, from the radiation. And so the only reason that a bone marrow transplant is needed is because radiation is used to try to kill every cancer cell in the body. In that process, the bone marrow, which is a very rapidly dividing cell tissue, which makes it very sensitive to radiation, essentially stops functioning. And so the radiation will be lethal unless you can isolate the stem cells from the person or the dog ahead of time and then put them back in the dog after the radiation to allow the bone marrow to then expand and make all the cells that it needs to make for a dog to stay alive. So the full body irradiation that happens, which you said would be lethal and it would basically kill all the bone marrow. What does that process look like? How long does that take? 
It's pretty straightforward. So it's called total body radiation. Radiation is used all the time to kill cancer cells, but usually in a local area. So if I had a tumor on my shoulder, let's say that the surgeons could not remove radiation to that area would hopefully kill the remaining cancer cells left behind. Mm -hmm. In total body radiation, the dose is much lower. And of course, the whole body is included in the radiation field. And that the radiation is administered and when your animal and person is kind of away from the uh, machine so that they can get a big cone of radiation, quite frankly, that they stand in or a dog lays in. Now, the procedure takes about two hours, two days in a row, because the dose is very low. And in order to uh, enable to kill the cancer cells for many reasons that I'm not going to go into. So the actual process is in dogs is quite easy. They're asleep only to keep them still. The radiation machine is turned on. They sit there. And then when they're done, they're done. We come back and do it the next day also. So it's fairly straightforward. Okay. And then describe what that's like. You said that, you know, the people move out and basically a dog is sedated and then is exposed to the radiation for a couple hours, two days in a row. Yeah. So not a couple hours. Uh, the radiation is administered via a machine called a linear accelerator. Those in the know call it a, a LINAC. A LINAC. I like that. The LINAC. And so the LINAC is actually in a lead line vault. Uh, because the, obviously the radiation can get out and it could hurt people. So it's a, basically, we call it the vault. Mm. And the vault has a big machine called a LINAC in it. And that's where the radiation of all our patients occur. Most radiations, as I said, for dogs post-surgery, the radiation is actually very quick, just a couple minutes. But in the TBI, total body radiation dogs, because it's so low dose, it can take an hour or so to get that whole dose into the dog. So it's in this room with a big lead door. And nobody can go in, obviously, when the radiation is on. So that's why the dogs are asleep and monitored via a camera. Okay. And then after the two procedures, and do they normally happen in concurrent days? Yep, concurrent days. Okay. And then what happens next after those two days? Well, let me back up a little bit. Before the radiation, uh, we harvest the stem cells from the dog. And so they go through a particular procedure. They receive this a medicine under their skin called Nupagen, which is used in people who are receiving chemotherapy to keep your white blood cell counts up. So these dogs receive Nupagen for five days under their skin. We harvest their stem cells using this machine called an apheresis machine. And then they go to radiation, radiation for two days to hopefully kill all the cancer cells in their body. Then we take those cells that we harvested from the dog before the radiation, which were just sitting in the refrigerator, we take them out and we give them back to the dog. Do you give this blood cells back to the dog right after the second radiation treatment or how long? What's the intervening time? Yeah, we give it right afterwards. So usually um, after the radiation is over, we'll go into the vault and it's an intravenous infusion. And we'll just hook, hang the bag and start giving the dogs the cells right away. Okay. And then the drug that was used for five days prior, does that, I presume, stimulate the bone marrow to increase the production? Yeah, it's really an amazing drug. It's called Nubigen. And it's used in people all the time for when they receive chemotherapy to keep their white blood cell counts from going too low. And uh, it also has another fantastic property in, in that it drives stem cells out of the bone marrow into the peripheral blood. So peripheral blood always has some very low number of stem cells. Hmm. Nupagen actually drives them out into the peripheral blood. And then we use that apheresis machine to collect those stem cells from the blood. And so it's a kind of a magic drug. You can do a bone marrow transplant and never touch the bone marrow, which is quite nice. Yeah. Okay. And then you refrigerate the bone marrow until you can reintroduce the fresh bone marrow that had been harvested earlier through this machine. 
that is then, I guess, replacing the bone marrow that's being killed through the irradiation. That's right. Just It just okay. basically replaces it. And it takes usually four to seven days, somewhere in that range, for those bone marrow stem cells that we put in a vein to go to the dog's bone marrow. And they get all happy in there and say, okay, we're back home. And then they start making all the cells that an animal needs to stay alive. It's pretty cool. This whole process is fascinating and kind of like when you start looking at what is involved, it sounds sounds a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> I know that a lot of people who have looked at this thought, hmm, that's a lot to go through. How many times have you done this? We've transplanted 113 dogs so far. Okay. And the average cost to do it is? The cost has gone up instead of down, <laughs> unfortunately, when I started this. Inflation. I wanted to um, try to do it enough that we could start getting costs down. Of course, that hasn't happened. So there's two types of bone marrow transplants that maybe we can get into later. But the current price for an autologous transplant where we use a dog's own stem cells is anywhere from twenty one dollars to $26,000. Most dogs come in around twenty two dollars to $24,000. So it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's really only done at your facility in North Carolina. That's actually incorrect. So it had been done at four different facilities. So our facility, there's a, believe it or not, a private practice in Bellingham, Washington, who started this because they're sort of down the street from the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center where all this research happened. So Bellingham still does bone marrow transplants on the West Coast. And there were two other private practices in the United States, one in uh, Los Angeles and one in Columbus, Ohio who did them, who are now have stopped for various reasons. So right now it's just me on the, on the East Coast and uh, Dr. Ed Sullivan, who's at Bellingham on the West Coast. We, we got the coasts covered. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go to these oncology conferences, it's just the two of you guys sitting at the bar talking, talking shop. That's right. We're the, we're the, um, the rogue transplanters, I guess. <laughs> so uh, let's go back to the process because it just engenders so many questions. So the dogs have had the radiation for two days. They've been reintroduced to the bone marrow, but they're also in isolation for a while, right? That's correct because it takes a while for their bone marrow cells, the stem cells that we give them to kind of kick in for lack of a better word. And so not only are they're on this drug, Nupagen, before the radiation and the stem cell harvest, which makes their blood cell count go way high. So we stop that. And then their whole body's radiated. So their white blood cell count goes, boom, it just drops. And within two to three days, it'll go to absolute zero, which strikes fear in the hearts of everybody who doesn't deal with bone marrow transplantation. We're quite used to it by now. So their uh, white blood cell count and platelets usually go to absolute zero, which again is something that just, you know, folks in general aren't used to. Veterinarians are not used to that. And so when their neutrophil count, which are the cells that fight infection, go to below a thousand or so, because we know they're going to drop to zero, then they go into an isolation ward until those cells shoot back up again, which usually takes two to four days. So they they do spend about, usually about four days in isolation. So are they in total isolation or are they being attended to or describe this isolation? Yeah, they are attended to it, of course. So here at NC State, we have these beautiful positive pressure HEPA filtered isolation wards with basically wall to ceiling glass. And there's a little foyer in between two of them. And we go in and put on our uh, gowns and our head gowns and personal protection gear, obviously, and go in and tend to the animals and then obviously come back out. So they're actually attended to quite often. Okay. But it's not like the pet parents can come visit during that time because they're in isolation. 
That's right. The, really, the main point of the isolation is to keep them isolated from other animals in the hospital because mm. the hospital is full of sick animals. Okay. And basically, they have no immunity at that point because all of that has been destroyed through the radiation. Yeah, that's right. What are some of the other unwanted, I guess, side effects of the full body radiation? So radiation is very similar to chemotherapy. It tends to be very active against rapidly dividing cells. And so that's why the bone marrow is so affected by radiation because it's a very rapidly dividing cells. We need to make about 2 trillion cells a day to stay alive. So that's 2 trillion cells a day. Okay. A day for your entire life. So that's why it's my favorite tissue in the body. It's quite remarkable that it can do that without a brain. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. The gut is also rapidly dividing tissue. And that's why people who receive chemotherapy can become very ill because chemotherapy can really affect the uh, cells of the gut, which have a, a very rapid turnover. And that's the same in dogs. So radiation, if we see side effects besides the obvious bone marrow issues, it's gastrointestinal issues. So vomiting, diarrhea, lack of appetite, things like that. What about hair and fur? I mean, you know, oftentimes when a human being gets radiation, they go bald. Does that affect or do you get burns and, and that type of thing with full body radiation or no? Yeah, they, the, all the dogs that need groomed, and this is the same for chemotherapy, poodles, Bichon, Shih Tzus, they lose their hair. Golden Doodles lose their hair. Same with chemotherapy. All the way? Yep. Wow. Okay. Lose it all. They look like um, pretty funny big rats <laughs> for a while, uh, but it all grows back. Uh, usually within two months or so, it all grows back. Dogs who don't have that constantly growing hair that need groomed, they don't lose their hair. Their fur, sorry. I always call it hair, but it's fur. Okay. The specific types of cancers that this is mainly used with are a few. Two. Yeah. The main one is lymphoma, which is very similar biologically to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in people. And so dogs get both B and T cell lymphoma. Mm -hmm. T as a general rule is a worse disease. Those dogs tend not to do that well with chemotherapy when compared to B cell lymphoma. So we treat mainly dogs with B and T cell lymphoma with this type of transplant called an autologous transplant or the easier way to say it is an auto transplant. That's where we use the dog's own stem cells. Got it. You can also treat dogs who have leukemia. So acute leukemias can also be treated. We have treated some dogs with acute leukemia. The problem with acute leukemia is you need to find a donor dog who does not have cancer because you can't get a cancer-free graft from a dog with leukemia because leukemia is defined as having cancer cells in the body. And no matter how much chemotherapy you give a dog, they always have a lot of cancer cells floating in their body when they have an acute leukemia. So you can't really use a dog's own stem cells. We could, but we can't harvest them without having a lot of cancer cells too, since we harvest the stem cells from the blood. And you're reintroducing the cancer. Yeah. So we have to find a donor, which we can, and we have. Wow. So again, very much harkens to human medicine. Very similar. But so leukemia is not as common to use with this procedure as the lymphomas. As the B and T cell. Yeah, and there's two big reasons for that. One is leukemia in dogs, acute leukemia in dogs, is horribly aggressive. Horribly. It's a terrible disease. I hate it. And uh, those dogs tend to respond to chemotherapy quite well, but that response is very short. Mm. And so, you know, if I have an acute leukemia dog who you know, lives six months, it's almost a miracle. You know, they usually live a couple months with treatment because it just becomes so resistant to chemotherapy. And the reason that's important is because the matching process can take a few months to get it done. The owners have to find related dogs. 
We have to get blood from those dogs. We send those, actually those blood samples out to the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center in Seattle for them to do the genotyping. And that takes a couple of weeks. So the whole process can take two to three months. And many of those dogs, unfortunately, don't make it to transplant because of that. And what kind of uh, success rates do you see with it, with lymphoma? So again, it sort of depends on the type. And so we can do both auto using the dog's own stem cells or allogenic, said allotransplant, for dogs with lymphoma. The success rate or the cure rate of dogs with B-cell lymphoma using an autotransplant, so this gets a little complicated, dogs with B-cell lymphoma being treated with an autotransplant with their own cells is Mm -hmm. somewhere between 30 and 40%, which is much better than chemotherapy, which is essentially 0%. And then define what success rate, what a cure means. Sure. So a cure in dogs with lymphoma Post-transplant, if those dogs are alive two years post-transplant, they're cured of their disease. Those dogs just don't relapse at that time. And so that's the kind of the line we look for is for an animal to make it past two years. Once past two years, they're they're good to go. Okay. So 30 to 40% are cured. They live two years beyond treatment. And they live a normal life. With the B-cell lymphoma using their own cell, their own... uh... You're getting it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then the T-cells, how successful is that? Not as good. And so that's exactly the same as chemotherapy with T-cell dogs. It doesn't work as well. So the, there's only one paper been published, which is mine, and a small group of dogs is about 15, and that success rate was around 20%. So it's almost half of the cure rate of with the dogs with B-cell lymphoma. And interestingly, with chemotherapy, the overall survival for dogs with T-cell lymphoma is about half of what it is with B-cell lymphoma. So we're so sort of mirroring the chemotherapy experience. So why would you do this versus chemo if you have T-cells? Well, actually, it extends their lives longer. So the median survival of those transplant dogs who have T-cell lymphoma with an auto transplant is 602 days, um, which is way longer than a chemotherapy alone, which is just around six months or so. Okay. Uh, But it is expensive. It's an extremely difficult decision. I wish it was higher, you know, the the percentage, but right now it's not. However, I may digress a little bit. That's why we really push for an allotransplant using a donor stem cells for dogs with T-cell lymphoma, especially because we're pretty sure that cure rate at this point, small number of dogs is 50%, Hmm. and that's way better than 20%. So that's why we always try to get folks to find uh, related dogs quickly so we could do an allotransplant for dogs with T actually and B-cell. We like to try allo first because the cure rate's about double. And so in terms of that, finding that match, you want to find a litter mate? Is that usually the best? Yeah. So litter mates are the closest. The bitch and the sire are also good. All those dogs have a 25% chance of matching. It's not cumulative. (laughs) So if you find four dogs, it's not a hundred percent chance. They're all 25%. (laughs) Folks can also look for dogs from the same mating pair. Uh, They're also 25%. So the more dogs folks can locate, the higher the chances of finding a, a dog that matches. Okay, Dr. Sudo, I want to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about advice and thoughts you have for people who are considering this. Sure. Stick around. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, 
I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. 
It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back. During the break, we were chatting a little bit, and our producer said, I hope I never have a dog who needs this. And you said, me too. I hope you never have to do it. Is this something that you would do with your own dog, doctor? Yeah, I really would. I'm obviously horribly biased because I've been doing this for uh, almost 10, 10, 11 years now. Mm -hmm. But the whole reason I started doing this was not to do something crazy. It was because I've watched hundreds of dogs with lymphoma die. Uh, being treated with our standard therapies, which is a CHOP chemotherapy. And it just became so frustrating to watch this happen over and over and over and over again, no matter what. The cure rate with chemotherapy alone is terrible. It's less than 5% at best. And so, you know, based on my PhD experience, I learned about bone marrow transplant and I quickly wanted to try to do something that would help our animals after watching so many of them pass away from lymphoma and leukemia. And that's right. When I looked at your bio, your interest in this predates your going into veterinary medicine. Is that true? Yeah, sort of accidentally. <laughs> many things I've done have been sort of by, by accident, actually. When I started doing my PhD, at, when I was at Penn, I was in a dual degree program there. There was a vet degree and a PhD. And I actually ended up becoming very interested in bone marrow transplantation because I was using that to treat a type of immune deficiency called severe combined immunodeficiency as a model for the human disease. There were two dog models there and we were using bone marrow transplantation and gene therapy, which is part of my PhD, to try to treat that disease and make it go away, which actually works. And so I ended up doing a lot of bone marrow transplants during my PhD. And that's how I really learned about all the information that's out there in the research setting as far as transplanting dogs and the use of dogs as a lot. So it was a really, it just opened my eyes to the possibilities. And then I became an oncologist. I did a residency in oncology and it just sort of almost accidentally all fit together into this idea that this can be done. And um, based on Dr. Sullivan's one publication in 2006, showing that it can be done in a clinical setting by a GP in a private practice, that was it. I knew it could be done in a university setting. And you are pretty much the world's leading expert on this at this point. It's, sadly, that is true. As I said, it's just the two of you guys at a bar at some vet That's conference. about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and 
sadly, there's nobody else doing it. And I've had a uh, bone marrow transplant fellowship for years now where veterinarians can come and learn these techniques with the hopes that they would go out and spread the word and start doing this. I mean, I can treat, you know, 20 dogs a year. We see tens of thousands of cases of lymphoma every year across the United States. And so my hope has always been to spread the information and to get people trained up in it so they can go out and start doing this at other universities or, or practices. And it, it really hasn't happened, unfortunately, quite yet. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think that the um, veterinary medical oncology community is quite skeptical, which, of course, we all should be because we don't want to harm animals. Mm-hmm. As I was talking to Kate earlier, there's a lot of misinformation about it relating to efficacy and or toxicities a lot, quite frankly. And it's also not easy to get set up and to actually do it. There's a lot of infrastructure that is I had to build to do this, so that can be difficult also. There's clearly uh, people who want their dogs to go through this procedure. We have a waiting list of 16 dogs, 16 families and their dogs all the time. Mm. which is frustrating because we can't get to them all the time. So there's clearly a need. And these are dogs that really, I mean, can't necessarily wait so long because they have advanced cancer. That's correct. So, yeah, it's multifactorial. Yeah, I have some veterinarians who send me cases all the time who believe it, and I have others who never do and don't believe it. So you said there's some misconceptions or some myths. What are they? Well, uh, I've heard a lot, <laughs> a lot, of this kind of a long list. Now, one is, that the dogs end up in a black hole of an isolation ward for two weeks, which is not true. Uh, it's too toxic and dogs die. We have lost some dog. It's not benign, that's for sure. But we haven't lost a dog since 2016. I think our protocol's rock solid now. And so a lot of people feel that it's not worth the risk. I've heard that the dogs are tortured because the total body radiation is horrible and they poop and puke and, you know, their guts out for three weeks, which they don't. So Things like that relating to toxicity and efficacy. Okay. But I mean, they have some reaction. Of course. There's like not three weeks of pooping. But some of those things may be embellished, but they're factual. No? They are. They definitely have GI side effects. Not bad, but they do. Okay. And you see you haven't lost a dog in the process since 2016. So that's that's pretty good. It is pretty good. And, you know, I wasn't an expert on bone marrow transplantation when I started this. I learned, we learned as we've gone along. And when I first started the program, I sort of transplanted any dog that walked through my doors because I was trying to show that we have ability to do it and to show my dean that there was a client base that were willing to come to us to have this done. So Mm -hmm. we did lose some dogs. And early on, I look retrospectively, I think, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done that transplant. But people forget to realize that dogs with lymphoma have a lethal disease. They have a 98% chance of dying from that disease relatively soon, within a year or so. And so, um, you know, somebody has to do something. Yeah. So what are the considerations if you've decided that you want to do this? What are some of the things that a dog lover should take into consideration? Well, I think the first thing is to call us so we can talk to them. We don't enter into any transplant, no matter what type it is, with frivolity. You know, this is a big decision. The animals need to come to us or to the West Coast. It's a big trip. We've transplanted dogs from Canada, all over the United States and internationally. One thing is information. And we stress highly that we have a phone consult with uh, owners so they can understand exactly what we're talking about, understand the pros and the cons. And there are pros and cons to the procedure before they even attempt to make a decision. 
So that's really important to us is that everybody's on the same page and we all understand what the issues are. Number two, obviously, is the money. It took me five years to convince VIP pet insurance that this is not experimental. It's actually clinical service, which it is. And so now insurance covers this procedure. They also cover the matching if folks want to find a donor. So that's huge. So is that all insurance firms or just? Uh, VIP nationwide, pet partners and a couple others do. And so that's obviously a tremendous help. So that's the first thing I'd say to folks, you have pet insurance? (laughs) Because they cover 80 to 90%, which is fantastic. The other issue is really, you know, life is complicated. People have children, jobs, and they have to figure out a way to get at least their dog here. And if it's an aloe transplant, get the donor dog here also. And that can involve expense and time, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all issues that make this decision extremely difficult. And we don't take it lightly at all. It's really important that at least they have all of the information that I can tell them about everything before they they make that decision. So we always insist on a phone consult at least. And those take usually an hour to an hour and a half. And many times we'll talk to people multiple times as they're trying to go through this process. So a lot of these dogs obviously probably already have local oncologists, if not general practice vets. Do you find some of your time uh, spent communicating to them the benefits of the process? We always communicate with a local treating veterinarian. Most are oncologists, but some of them aren't. All dogs are on chemotherapy before they come to see us. So we like to modify the protocol for certain reasons. So we work with them very closely also. And then in terms of the breeds of the dogs, obviously we know what kinds of cancer, but like, is it better for bigger dogs or smaller dogs or certain breeds? Lafoma used to be sort of known with um, breeds like bully breeds. So English bulldogs and those types of dogs with really short noses. But all the popular breeds now, unfortunately, are packed with cancer mm-hmm. and lymphoma is probably number one. And so pick a popular breed, you know, Labs, Goldens, Boxers, et cetera, et cetera. Those dogs are all the dogs that are really loaded with lymphoma. Now, I've been doing this for close to 20 years now. We see lymphoma across almost all breeds. And clearly, we don't see a lot of Jack Russell Terriers, but we see some Jack Russell Terriers. So we see it among small dog breeds now, where usually it was a middle to a large size dog breed. So is there any dog that's too small to undergo this process? That's interesting. So uh, we, we used to have sort of a size limit on dogs of 20 kilograms, and we've gotten better and better with this machine that we have. And so I dropped the size to 15 to 10. We're actually looking at a getting ready to do a five kilogram Yorkie. Yorkshire Terrier, which is really little, it's going to be very technically challenging because the machine is made for people. Mm. So I would say, you know, five kilograms or less, that'd be technically challenging to do it, but we don't really have any real size limit at this point. The other thing I should mention about the breeds is that in the old days, back when I was in veterinary school, you know, lymphoma was a disease of middle-aged to older-aged dogs, and it still sort of is. And so if you have a dog with lymphoma, it develops it at 10 and they live two years on chemotherapy and it's, you know, it's a big golden retriever. That's actually not too bad. But unfortunately, the demographics of the disease has changed dramatically over my career as a veterinarian. So the average age of the dogs that I transplant is four. And so that's what makes families really think that maybe transplant's an option and they have a beautiful golden retriever who's three years old and they have children that they want to grow up, you know, grow up with that dog. And and that dog just is not going to see five Hmm. period Hmm. with chemotherapy. So the average age of our dogs is four. We transplant dogs that are two. I see dogs with lymphoma that are one year old. And so it's really the young dogs whose families are really kind of interested in this procedure. Well, Dr. Steven Suter, thank you so much for being with us. I know that over the years, a number of people have 
been interested in this and I would just so delighted to have you come on and, and explain this process because it is it is a little foreboding from the outside. It is. And, uh, it is. You are the eminent leader in this. That is true. I don't know how it happened, but I am. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Thank you so much for being with us on Dog Cancer Answers. Thanks so much for having me. Most appreciated. And I would like to thank you for joining us today on this very special episode of Dog Cancer Answers. We don't often delve into radiation because it's not that commonly used, and this is a very aggressive procedure. And it may not be right for everyone, but if it is something that you are interested in, now you have some more information and you should get in touch with them. I hope you will continue to listen to Dog Cancer Answers because we have other episodes about all sorts of things and you can find our entire back catalog on our website at dogcanceranswers.com. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and tell a friend or your veterinarian, or maybe your vet is your friend, about Dog Cancer Answers. I'm James Jacobson on behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network. I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. 